How can you hear me? Can you hear me well? Yeah, I can hear you really well. Good, good. Do you see me? Yeah. Or do you have your video up or just a still, I take it? Oh, I, I do have video up. Not not that you need to. I just I want to know so I don't pick my nose or anything. No, no, no I can't <laughs> see. Yeah, no, no, I don't see. I just see your still image. Okay. I figured you just wanted to do it all uh, audio to try to save on bandwidth. Uh, yeah, no, that'd be great. Hey, everybody. Scott here from WNYBrews.com. Welcome to the second episode of the WNY Brews podcast, podcast about beer and brewing in western New York. So this is episode two. We were going to talk to uh, Rusty Nickel about some of their beers that they had there, but uh, schedules didn't work out this week. So instead, we're doing the starter episode. I teased it in episode zero, if you go back and listen to that one. We are talking about getting started in homebrewing. I have a couple of friends who want to start homebrewing and asked me for advice, which, first of all, terrible idea. So I put the question out to other people, people who know a lot more than me. And and one of those people is the person you heard there at the beginning. Got to talk to Bert Deister over Skype. Bert Deister is out of uh, Niagara Tradition Homebrew Supply. If you've never been there, it's up in Tonawanda. They have everything that you need to get started uh, in homebrew. Uh, Kits, recipes, ingredients, so on and so forth. So we're going to talk to him about getting started and the kind of stuff that they carry there for getting into homebrewing, or I suppose if you wanted to get into wine or cheese making, I think, too. Anyway, let's start this podcast off. Uh, I am drinking a rye PA that we made here at the house. It was an extract kit that we made over the winter because, as you know, it gets really cold in the winter and, you know, outside pipes freeze and stuff like that. So we did it on the stovetop and think it turned out pretty nice. So if you're going to open one with us, please do in three, two, one. So, hello again, wherever you're listening, if you're listening to us on the, uh, I don't know, on your car stereo, in your headphones, you're taking a walk, you're at the gym, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. Let's get back into our talk with Bert Deister. So, I I assume you're not drinking anything right now. Um, Water and coffee, I could be. (laughs) We got a a kegerator on here, I got a nice stout and unic lager on tap, I haven't haven't gone there yet today. Matt tried the stout earlier. He said it's carbonated nicely. So. If, if you want a good excuse, I'm drinking a rye PA. Cool. Yeah, why not? I'll be right back. <laughs> nice. So while he does that, we're talking about what you would do differently if you started again in home brewing. I recently had a, a brew day at our house uh, where the Das Hausbrowers came over. That's at dashousebrowers.com, or you can go to thehomebrewers.com uh, for their page, where we all we all brewed in the driveway. And I, I posed the question to a couple of people. Uh, this is Terry and Kyle. I asked, if you were doing it all over again, what would you do differently? I was fortunate when I started. I, I had the help of a lot of good friends who walked me through things. I started the, the same way everyone else starts, you know, buying a couple kits, going through it becoming an extract brewer and then eventually making the jump to all grain each step of the way the guys in our club really walked me through it so i wouldn't change anything are you using the same mash tun yes i am I, I made a mash tun again with the help of some friends uh we we did access uh, uh don osborne's uh helpful hints online to help us do that 
if you started again, right now, started home brewing again, what would you do different? Besides not boiling over on your stove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that was the first mistake I ever made was, you know, boiling over on the stove and stinking up the whole house. I would have to say um, probably I would honestly just jump right into all grain. A lot of people have been saying that. Would you would you start extract or would you just go right to all grain? Um, I thought by staying with extract alone as I did, I learned to buy things in bulk. And uh, it gave me a chance to really kind of experiment with my specialty malts before I had to start worrying about mash uh, temperatures and and things like that. So I actually preferred what I did because I got to experiment a little bit more. I felt a lot of pressure when I when I jumped into all grain because I didn't want to mess up the, the fermentation. But then I was so glad once I did. Yeah. All right. So that was that was Terry and Kyle at the, at the brew day talking about the things that they would do differently. You heard uh, Terry there saying that he wouldn't do very much differently at all. In fact, he would start extract. But what I heard from a lot of people is that they would start uh, all grain, that they would just completely skip extract, get everything they need to do all grain right off the bat. And um, the music that you heard in the background, I, I could not help myself. I'm in my podcast studio here. I have, I have a keyboard next to me, and he kept talking about um, help from his friends, and I'm sorry, I could not help myself. So sorry, Terry, for playing over the first part of your thing there. Um, let's get back into talking with Bert Deister. I started off by telling them how we brew at the house, what we've been doing um, in the past uh, two years. So we we brew, me and my dad share. Uh, we share a garage. We share a driveway. We have uh, two separate houses. But that also means that we get to share uh, homebrew equipment and ingredients. So when we were purchasing everything, we bought uh, we bought a huge pot, 15-gallon pot. It wasn't a brew kettle. It's just, you know, a 15-gallon huge pot. And it, it turned out that, that it's really, really wide, which makes it difficult to get an immersion chiller in. So I wouldn't necessarily suggest getting the pot that we got. Uh, we started extract for two brews. Uh, we totally messed up one of them. We just recently finished drinking that one. Uh, that, that was over two years ago, and the age did not help. Um, so it took us a long, long time to get back to that beer. Anyway. Uh, we also, we've made a mash tun with a copper manifold, which I, I might suggest, but you know what? If if I were going back into it now, I might do it differently. And, and that's one of the things that I talked about with Bert Deister from Niagara Traditions. I gave him uh, that little spiel about what I, I started with, and then I asked him the equipment that he started with. Yeah, I know what you mean. And for somebody, I've changed how I brew. Uh, I probably do it about once every year. I make really drastic changes kind of in the spring now to my homebrew setup. Based on what I've learned, yeah, and it changes it up a little bit. It's a little new, a little interesting. Yeah, you run into new problems, but <laughs> the challenge of solving those new problems. There's problems every week. It might as well be new problems. Yeah, yeah. Keeps it interesting. So did you start extract? I started all grain. Well, I mean, I guess it's two ways to look at it. I yeah. started with my father as well. Uh, my father and mother uh, started the business um, in 1991, and we opened our doors in 1992. Um, so it was already in the family and we were kind of those families where, um, you know, at dinner time, uh, we were expected to have like a small glass of like, you know, juice or beer or wine or something to try with dinner. Um, when I started working part time at the family business, uh, I'd already had a little bit of home brewing experience, uh, from just helping out my father as well. 
Um, and I started to kind of play around with all grain, really because I, when I first started working at the shop, I wasn't brewing all grain. I was brewing all extract, and I kind of felt like I needed some more talking points um, mm-hmm. to different, uh, different home brewers because obviously, you know, at, at the time, probably about 25% of our customers were all grain brewers, and um, I just didn't have any, I didn't know what the different base malt tasted like, so I started doing a lot of smash brewers, and then when I got to college, um, I really started brewing a lot more, and that's actually when I started brewing more extract um, because it was a time issue. I didn't have, I was living with a bunch of friends. Um, we would actually kind of shift brew. So somebody would, when they got home from class or work, would start the um, start the water up, start the grain steeping, maybe get it to a boil. That's such a great um, idea. Yeah, then I would come, I would come, I would take over, I would take it through the boil, start it chilling. Um, huh. If it was in the warm weather, our other roommate would come back, and he got off work at about uh, anywhere from 12 to 2 o'clock in the morning. And he would come home and finish the chilling, you know, put it into a fermenter and pitch it. And we really had this kind of like, uh, you know, four-man brewing co-op going, which was really, we got a nice rhythm and did, saved a lot of money on beer. Did you give it a name? You had to have given it a name. Um, I think I can only, <laughs> I can only remember one. I'm, I'm sure... No, like the co-op. Like, did you have the brewery? We were the blank brewery or... Oh, no, no. I, we, we didn't ever give ourselves a name we were on Mac avenue we were going to ub so we probably should have used something like that um huge missed opportunity yeah yeah i remember <laughs> we, we had one that we called like uh old bessie brown which mm-hmm. was a big hoppy sweet brown ale it was i think the, the one of the few beers besides the bitter that we just we would brew over and over again so we would always brew something to try, whether that was like, oh, well, we're going to try this IPA recipe, the stout recipe, but we always had this brown ale and this English light bitter, just always, not on tap at that time, Yeah, actually mostly bottling uh, in two-liter pop bottles. That's a good idea, too. Yeah. Four guys, a two-liter pop bottle poured into a pitcher. It was just a good uh, good volume. You could get through it quick. So, nice. so what, what are you doing now? What's your current setup look like? Hmm. Uh, shambles, uh, complicated. <laughs> uh, now over the years I've accumulated, I think I have about three or four mash tons, yeah. um, put together, meaning there's some parts and some coolers or vessels that are kind of half assembled. Um, and then I have, uh, a couple selections in brew pots ranging from one at like 30, 60, and then a big 15 gallon one. Nice. Um, and this is something I'd always talk to somebody who's just brewing about not to make the same mistake as me and not impulse purchase their large all grain equipment. Mm-hmm. I actually find myself using the 60 quart pot and the 10 gallon igloo cooler um, 90% of the time. It's the easiest. It's what I have the most experience on. It was the first one that I kind of purchased and put together that wasn't like a hand-me-down from my father. Um mm-hmm. And I really like it. It's simple, and it's quick to put together. It's quick to take down. It's quick to clean. And when you're doing all grain, you're doing all grain because you want to do the all grain. Uh, you want to be there for that extra time, but you don't necessarily want the extra cleanup. You don't want any hassles with leaking uh, quick clamp fittings or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so most of the time, I'm brewing on a 10-gallon igloo with a 60-quart, uh, 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 just cheap polarware uh, brew pot. 
the cheapest series they have, the real thin metal, no sight gauge, no thermometer. Um, it's more for me to trip over, break, uh, replace, clean. So if you were going back to talk to your, your co-op self, where, where it's you and the other four guys saying, hey, we got, we're going to build a new setup, would you, would you recommend what you have now? I would actually have, would, yeah, I would recommend actually the stuff I, I immediately bought, the stuff that I researched. I talked to other home brewers in our local clubs about, like, oh, what should I do? And they all said, go for the 10-gallon got cooler. Get a simple pot. Get a big one. Get plenty of splash room. Um, and for going all grain, I think that was, it was the right way. Then afterwards, I, I wanted to be able to decoct and louder, and so I converted over a 15-gallon keg and put a research uh system on it and stuff like that and i still have that that's kind of primary our work system um whereas the the 10 gallon igloo is kind of more of my home system travel but yeah biggest advice on buying homebrew equipment research it maybe brew with somebody that has that equipment already so you can kind of see if that's really what you're looking for because a a 10 gallon mash ton takes up a lot of space and i uh (laughs) should maybe think about trying to regain some of my own personal homebrew space so I can fill it with more fermenters. And more oh, of course. Yeah. Fermenters and kegs. And yeah. You know, so I'm on the Niagara, Niagara Traditions homebrew website at, at nthomebrew.com. I'm looking at the all-grain startup kit with the chiller. That's like, exactly what I use. That's the one I just described. It's one of the reasons we put that kit together is because it's, it's the most common way, and we think the easiest way to start up all-grain. And I see... I see a, um, I'm sorry, I see a chiller there. I see a, what's the word I'm looking for? A mesh screen. Yeah. Is that what you, is that what you use to use a screen or do you use a false bottom? Uh, actually, I'm going back to the screen from the false bottom. I know a lot of people that do it really well with the screen. Yeah. Um, it's Again, it comes down to simplicity. Um, with the false bottom, I was losing a bit. Uh, initially, with uh, the Polarware false bottom, the one that they make for their igloo cooler, um, it was, I was losing about a, say three quarters of a gallon of space in the bottom of the mash tun. And that's also a space you have to account for when doing your strikes. Um, so it was throwing off my strike infusion. So I went back to the screen and, um, yeah, it works out great with the got cooler. I tend to batch sparge over fly sparge again, because when I pull right, it yeah. out, it's, uh, that's what I'm looking for is a simple all grain brew. And the screen works just as well. I really don't notice uh, when batch sparging any drop in efficiency between the false bottom and the screen. Um, so you can upgrade. We'll gladly, with any of our startup kits for kegging, for all-grain brewing, or for just startup home brewing, we'll always gladly sub out items or give you a credit for something if you're not looking for the particular one we put in the kit. Um, but I really suggest the screen. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to, to use. And... Um, the the problem I'm having is that I between me and my dad we've probably spent five or six hundred dollars on all this equipment. You know I I made a mash tun, I made a copper manifold, um, which is difficult to clean. Yeah. We, we bought the chiller. To do, I hope you have all your fingers. I've I've made two or three myself. <laughs> yeah. Time spent with either the angle grinder or a lot of time with the hacksaw. And it's uh, I, it's a I labor don't, of love. I, I don't even want to describe how I did it. It's so dangerous the way that I did it. I, I okay. I'm going to describe it. I held a uh, uh, the jigsaw. I held a jigsaw between my knees with a metal blade, and and slowly rocked the copper up to the uh, up to the jigsaw. And every once in a while, I would need to replace the blade because it would shoot out on me as it as it started to started to dull. Or I'd I'd go just a little bit too far and I'd have to back it up. And then I did all that 
uh, scraping burrs off it. Probably right. took, what, three hours to make a copper manifold. I think that's um, probably a good, pretty good time. And if you if you think if it worked on the first time through, I'd be really happy about that. It did, um, but every every time I use it, I go, man, I should just I should just make a screen, should just make a screen. Which is why I'm trying to, you know, I don't have the best um, ideas when it comes to this because I'll I'll try 13 different things, and spend literally $600 instead of just going to, to Niagara Traditions and picking it up for 314 Yeah, and I going to say, we, uh, I personally have, you know, wasted that $600 plus <laughs> on my collection of masks on to point the customers into the right direction. Yep. Well, then, you know, this is, this is what I purchased. This is what I actually use. Well, you have a good excuse. You have, well, I got to make sure that people know what, you know, I got to make sure I know what I'm doing so people know what they're doing. Oh no! Yeah, I use that. I use that excuse to buy just about every product <laughs> at the store. I gotta uh, say, that's a hell of a family business too. Oh yeah, because uh, I'm I'm a music teacher. My dad was a music teacher, and that's that's great. But uh, man, if he were a brewer, how much greater would that be? Yeah, it was. Um, it wasn't when when you were growing up as a kid. Uh, yeah. I looked at the store as just retail because obviously you're not you're not drinking yet. You're coming in on the weekends. It was that's good. True. It was really. Um, inspiration to have after school uh, activities. I learned to play trombone, guitar, a little bit of piano kind of at the end there. Yeah, good. Um, and uh, played like four sports and did Boy Scouts and all that stuff just to try not to end up at the family business after school. To have some place <laughs> and hang out and, you know, do something. And then obviously when I got to the college age, it was like, no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in beer now. Yeah, right. I want to have, have good beer at home. I don't want to be. You know, drinking the uh, cheap thirty racks that everybody else is, partially because I'm not not liking it. So I couldn't afford good beer, but I could afford to make it. I was I was always the person in college who would who would pay for the six pack of something nice rather than the thirty pack of of Coors Light. Yeah, what, I know. what Ice House was at the time. Yeah, I know when we uh, when we used to uh, get desperate if we'd been running behind on the brewing, we'd usually go get like a growler filled at Flying Bison. Nice. And then like pick up like a ten dollar bottle of whiskey. Uh, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> Never gets the job done. Tip everything, yeah. All right, so I'm I'm trying to think through a, a typical day here. Oh, what do you use for a, a burner? A burner? Um I have at home it's electric. Um oh, okay. it's not a recess stove or a glass top stove. It's an old um actually nineteen 19- 54 uh general motors uh 120 uh volt stove and it has the really old school big electric coils on it we're talking about the ones that are about two inches wide yeah um and that's great i I get an unbelievable amount of heat from it it's all going directly into the bottom of the pot um obviously you don't have a lot of control so you end up moving pots around to try to make up for it yeah at work here uh, we have two different natural gas burners. We have one from King Cooker. Uh, I'm looking at that one. Yeah. Um, it's an older model. It's nice. I like it. Uh, I get more overall BTUs out of it. Okay. But the Blickman, it's got pot. We, I, I, I really have come around to the Blickman burners. And when I first saw them and saw like a $150 burner, I'm like, oh, you're paying for that so you can have some polished stainless steel. Yeah. Uh, um, now that I've been brewing more, it, there's a lot of features on it that I really, really like. The fact that whether you're running propane or natural gas, you can still hook up a pin valve, which gives you that little bit of extra control. You have really great distribution. 
um, in pot catches, which, you know, if you're brewing with kids or drunk friends around, yeah. um, it really <laughs> provides a lot of security for you. And um, I like the square uh, legs on it. Uh, I've been able to mount it to uh, my Blickman tower, but I say with a, uh, a socket in about 15 minutes, I can have it hard mounted to um, from our mobile Blickman tower. I can take it and put it and hook it up to natural gas and have it on our brew sculpture here at work within 15 minutes. And that's all because it has stainless steel square edges that you can drill into, tap, bolt, um, which is awesome. Uh, it's a really a lot more user-friendly for the extra, you know, 50 to $70, depending on what burner you're looking at. Uh-huh. So if you go King Cooker, you can have two, but the Blickman is more than twice as nice. And I think in my time, I've probably bought three. And if I just would have bought this one in the first place... You know what I mean? Probably would have saved oh, yeah. money there anyway. Yeah, and that's it's a big thing. If home brewing becomes more popular, there's a lot of different ways um, to do just about everything, and there's a lot more products out there. But taking the time to look at what has worked for other people and what you think will work for you can yeah save you a lot of money. So I think based on based on what we've talked about today, based on I've talked to uh, the guys in my homebrew club, I'm going to recommend that this guy just go straight all green to start off. I mean. Uh, I'm, he's going to come over to my house a couple of days, a couple of brew days, and figure this out. Mm-hmm. But it seems like everybody wants to wants to skip right over the extract. And it's you wonder what it's. Um, I understand it. I, I I used to not encourage it, um, but the all grain brewing really isn't any harder than the extract brewing. It's just more work. Just a little longer, yeah. You got it. But if you're in it for the hobby, now when I got it in college, and so when I, okay when I got into it first working at the family business, I did. Or all grain, because I was in for it for the process, for the knowledge, and for something to talk about. Uh, so the all grain fit better for that. Once I got into college, it was less about I want to brew beer as I need cheap beer. You want to drink um, beer, yep. Yeah, and I have no time. <laughs> and so the uh, the extract brewing just really fit well right there. So I tell people all the time, uh, what type of home brewer do you think you are? What type of home brewer do you want to be? And if you're in it for the process. Um, yeah, it's all grain is right for you. Uh, if you're in it for the beer, um, you might want to start with extract because you're yeah. over time and your investment is going to be a lot lower. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to pause here, uh, from the, from the, uh, from the interview with Bert Deister. We're taking a, a quick pause. I, I want to talk to you. First of all, disclaimer, don't do what I did when making a copper manifold. That was it, it, to describe it right now, when, when I was describing it with him, to to think back on it, it's very dangerous. I have both of my thumbs, and and I, I really things could have went so wrong. I'm so lucky to have both of my thumbs the way that I was doing that. Also, I was pulling back with my knees at the same time, and if for some reason it would have made it through. That copper tubing, it would have been in the, um, it's a nice way to say it, it's in the, in the groin area. So please don't do that. So we're about to get back into the interview. Before we do that, I want to play you a small clip from one of my friend's podcasts. It's called The Bagged and Board Cast. It's at baggedandboard.com. It's spelled B-O-R-E-D. It's about comic books, but they have a huge uh, uh, beer component to their podcast where they talk at the beginning about what beer they're drinking that week. They're about 250 or so episodes in. And they have talked about literally hundreds of beers 
over the past couple of years. If, if there's a beer that you've thought about that you've never really gotten to, I would suggest checking out their website because I bet they've talked about it over the past five years. So this is what they were talking about this week, and then we'll get right back into the interview with Bert Deister from Niagara Tradition. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. We're the Begging Boardcast, and this week we're bringing you our trade and policy review of Wonder Woman Volume 1, Blood. But we're also drinking some beer. That's right. Uh, Paul and I are drinking three beers from the Red Brick Brewing Company out of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm following that up with some beers from Oddside Ales in Granville, Michigan. Join us for a pint, won't you? All right, so please check them out at bagdomboard.com. We're getting back into our interview with Bert Deister from Niagara Traditions, and we're going to start talking about the uh, different starter kits that you can get, and specifically the ones that they carry up at Niagara Traditions. And as you know, there's a lot of kits out there now, and some of them kind of leave you short on the process, and and I, we really don't like that. And all the kits that you get here will have everything you need from when you take it home to finish it uh, start to finish so that you don't have to come back into a homebrew shop, make another online order just to get your beer bottled or racked over. Yeah. As far as when people start asking about carboys and buckets and stuff like that, I really encourage them to start with buckets. They're a lot easier to clean. And as you know, as a homebrewer, anybody who is, the cleanliness and really sanitizing the equipment is the most important part of the process. If you don't do it, you're going to end up with vinegar. If you do yeah. it, you'll end up with beer. It might not be the beer you intended, but it's a mistake you can drink through. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we've had a couple of mistakes we couldn't drink. Yeah, I have too. I've, I've, <laughs> they're not so much the, the sanitizing issue as um, uh, kind of experimental projects. There you uh, go. But they get better. They get better with time. I know we, uh, we're getting ready to do our next... Um, sarsaparilla and um, birch root beer. Oh, cool. Um, and I think it will only go up as far as quality from last year, where it was really had an overpowering aroma, and the, and the roots kind of had some oils in there, gave it a silky feel. But um, we made those mistakes last year. We made different mistakes the year before, and we'll guarantee that this year we won't make any of those same mistakes. <laughs> Um, have all new mistakes. Yeah, we'll have new mistakes to make, and you won't realize it until you, um, until you kind of get those other things sorted out. So we don't know what our yeah we, again that kind of overpowering aroma that we were getting is. We might have some other issues in the background that we couldn't taste because we couldn't get past that aroma. But if you if you're a um, if you're a seasoned brewer and you Stick to your guns. We tell people all the time, there's no reason why every beer um, won't turn out perfect. Uh, but that's not as fun as playing around sometimes. And yeah. part of the money you save homebrewing can be used to kind of play with these experimental beers. I would suggest starting with a small batch if you're going to do a sarsaparilla. Uh, <laughs> don't do five gallons. I was going to say, like a one-gallon batch? Yeah, one-gallon batch. And... Um, Really, a lot of the equipment that you're going to find, and, and this, I guess, is uh, something to talk about. I encourage people to always buy a five-gallon batch. Um, the equipment's going to be universal. If you want to do a one-gallon, three-gallon batch as far as the primary fermentation stuff, um, it's just a secondary that you'll need to switch over to doing um, one-gallons. That's a good but, idea. Yeah, and with the five gallons of beer, people say, oh, well, is it going to be too much or something like that? It's only two and a half cases. Too much? Yeah, and we tell people, like, I often brew 10 gallons. Yeah. Putting the time into it, and you know you're going to get something you like. Um, 
you might as well put the extra time, do a little bit more. You're putting in the same amount of work. You're just using more ingredients. And if you're confident with your process, you may decide to go bigger uh, batches. But the five-gallon batch is a nice place to start. If you're out there, if you're doing uh, our brew kits, if you're doing Brewer's Best brew kits, if you're doing uh, Rogue brew calf kits, um, Brewfer, Mount Mellick, Coopers, Muttons, um, all these kits are for five gallons. So if you do the one-gallon or three-gallon thing, you find yourself trying to either fudge a lot of recipes and uh, or split them down in half, or you end up splitting these cans up or buying another fermenter and then fermenting you know, two, two-and-a-half-gallon batches. And that can become tedious, and you're really uh, setting yourself up for you know, extra opportunities for infection as, mm-hmm. uh, as well as more work. So I say go for a five-gallon kit. Go for buckets. Um, and then make sure that you have a hydrometer, uh, bottle capper, and caps in there. And this is where we see a lot of homebrew kits fall up short. Um, and some of the ones that we've sold in the past that were not packaged by us, we would often find ourselves adding these things into the kit to make sure that the person at home could uh, really finish the beer that they've started so they didn't have to come back in to get those couple extra things. And so those are the things that people ask all the time. Now, otherwise, you're going to see the kind of same universal equipment, a fermenting vessel, racking equipment, an airlock. If it doesn't have an airlock, that also should be a little bit uh, suspect. Yeah. But the, the capper, the caps, and the hydrometer, the things we see left out of any uh, or a lot of kits that you find at big box stores or you see on like an online eBay special or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we suggest, yeah, look for those three things in the kit. Go with a five-gallon kit. A lot of them, and we have kits here that are going to save you money by adding in a bunch of gadgets, and you know you get a discount on them over buying them later. But you don't need them. I say go for a five-gallon basic kit and get brewing, and then kind of take your time as you look at uh, other uh, other equipment as you build from there. So I'm looking at the top seller is the startup kit with the Australian Pale Ale. Mm-hmm. How's the Australian Pale Ale? It's good. It's not an American pale ale. So right. little, or I mean, I guess it's not the a pale ale that we think of here in uh, the Northeast or the uh, East Coast. If you go to Central U.S., you see more what are called these, like, and, and there is a name brand I'm using here. Session does one, but okay. um, you see more of these extra pale pale ales, um, more of these hot wetter beers. So they're still very bitter. They still have a touch of finishing hops. They don't have usually any corn or rice or any adjuncts in them, so they still have a full mouth feel of malt. But otherwise, the terminal gravity and the color are pretty low. So you end up with this refreshing, bitter beer. Um, nice. That's what the Australian Pale Ale is. It's a very popular kit. It's, I think, a safe bet for a lot of people when they look at the description of the beer, say, okay, it's hoppy, it's not too hoppy, it's got some body, but it's not going to have any overpowering toffee or roasted flavors to it. So, well, What makes it Australian? Uh, it's Cooper's. Cooper's actually comes from Australia, and you can buy their beers. And that's another reason why people really like the Cooper's beers to start up. Yeah. You can go to Premier, well, for here in Buffalo, I usually end up going to uh, Premier Gourmet, and sometimes you see the Cooper's seasonally at uh, um, Consumers as well. But um, they are a brewing company. Uh-huh. that offers homebrew kits of their best-selling beers. Um, homebrewing is actually, and I, I found this uh, quite often here at the store, uh, we're actually, in, we think of, oh, as U.S. starting the homebrew craze here, really being the pioneer, and we're actually kind of behind as far as Australia and New Zealand. Their higher tax on alcohol in New Zealand and Australia caused homebrewing to become really popular. 
and it caused some of these breweries to say, listen, we're seeing a hit in our sales of beer. Why don't we start selling the beers as kits? So we basically can sell it to the consumer at a lower tax level. They can have the fun of making it. And, um, yeah. So we see, um, I every once in a while grab one of their, their beers and give it a try. And I, every once in a while, do one of their can kits. Uh, I'm a big fan of their English bitter and their real ale which they sell as their sparkling real ale if you buy it direct uh, from consumers or uh, Premier Gourmet. And it's a kind of somewhat hoppy, somewhat malty pub ale. Really nice crowd pleaser. And these are the cans. These are canned... Can kits, yeah. Can kits. And they're hopped, right? They're hopped can kits. Some of them will say, oh, you might want to add some extra hops or some extra sugar. I usually go for the extra malt over the, you know, table sugar or corn sugar. Yeah. Um, but they are can kits. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of this kind of start to come over to the U.S. Because you see Brooklyn Brewing Company and Rogue, uh, and I think Stone, it might be even about to get into the game, of making homebrew kits of their commercial beers. So right now, we on the shelf have, I'm looking at a uh, Rogue Dead Guy and Brutal IPA kits direct from Rogue Brewing Company with notes from their brewmaster john on little tweaks to do to get it tasted just like it would at the brewery hey it's scott again i'm breaking in here hopefully hopefully it's not terribly annoying that i keep breaking in like this uh you'll notice there's a lot of sounds and please please excuse them uh bert was talking in his his office and there's just a lot of sounds going on it's it's a busy business up there in tonawanda so those are the things that you're hearing right now nice I'm looking at it right now too. Are those hop too, or are those? Those are those are actually more traditional box kits with some extract and some um, some hops, some grains. Excellent. So kind of intermediate level for uh, a starting brewer. Hey, I really appreciate you talking today. No problem. Anytime. I'm glad to be on there. Thanks for having me. And uh, oh, thank you. Are you, you going to beerology tomorrow? Yes, I am. Excellent. We'll see we'll you there, down, then. We'll be down in the basement. That's where they hide us pretty well. <laughs> That's also where the full kitchen is, so it's where we want to be. We like that. Good, good. I'm, I, I have glasses, goatee, generally kind of have a stupid grin on my face, so come say hi. <laughs> will do. Will do. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Talk to you later, Scott. Thank you very much. And that, that goes for you, too. So thank you, first of all, to Bert Deister for, for uh, joining us. Thank you to the Rearview Ramblers for using the uh, theme song. If you see me out somewhere, that that is exactly how how I look. I have glasses, a goatee, uh, I'm short, blonde hair. I generally have a big stupid grin on my face at all times. So uh, come see me. I will be at Beerology. We'll be talking about Beerology on the next podcast. Hopefully we'll be talking to uh, people from one of the local breweries too, pairing it up with some local buffalo food. If you want to get a hold of us, we're at WNY Brews on Twitter. We're on Facebook.com slash WNY Brews. And we are on WNYBrews.com. My name is Scott. We'll talk to you next time. Cheers. Said barkeep, hear me out before you kick me out. Because today's the day that my heart finally sang.